5AA Breakfast. David Penberthy and Will Goodings. Weekdays from 6 till 9 on Adelaide's 5AA. 24 minutes to 9 behind closed doors. Still to come this morning. Why don't you catch up with the SAPOL detective leading the uh, investigation for this Blair Athol kidnapper of a 10-year-old girl at a public toilet. More information's come out over the course of the morning on this story. We'll... Um, We'll put it all together for you and ask for your help when we catch up with SAPO in the next 15 minutes. The other big news of the morning, of course, has been that the federal election date was announced May 18th. Scott Morrison went to the Governor-General's house, made it official, spoke to the media shortly thereafter. And as we heard, a big part of the government's economic uh, pitch to the people is going to be about its economic credentials. Well, they're not the only people with an economic plan. Jennifer Westercott from the Business Council of Australia is in town to talk about their plan for a stronger Australia. Jennifer, good morning to you. Thanks very much. Good morning. Thanks for joining us here in the studio, Jennifer. Now, um, I've got the, uh, the, the the statement that accompanies your plan that's being released today. You're talking about a, a plan for a more resilient Australia with better jobs, more jobs, higher wages. Can I ask you specifically about the wages yeah, component? Sure. Because that is something that, you know, this this text line here that I'm pointing at, so many of our... Listeners, particularly people on the lower end of the income scale, they feel like the the gravy train hasn't ended for the big end of town, yet they've been stiffed for, for years um, in terms of their own take-home pay. Looking at the document, you talk about maintaining and strengthening the existing enterprise bargaining system and rejecting the straitjacket of industry-wide bargaining. For those listeners, that sounds like more of the same, doesn't it? Mm, not at all. So, so let's let's kind of really talk about the wages stuff because you know we've been calling this out for years that people's wages weren't going up fast mm. enough. Um, the question is what you do about it that actually is going to work. Now, if you if you think about what does it really take to drive wages, and so I'll come to the profits issue because it's very important. Um, what it takes to drive wage growth is to lift productivity. By that I mean. Companies investing, doing things more efficiently, using new equipment, exporting more, expanding. Uh, that is what kind of creates the conditions for higher wages. The enterprise agreement system has served the country very well. Um, on average, people who are on an enterprise agreement get wage rises of about 3.2% or just over 3 uh, whereas the wage price index is, is around 2, 2.3. Now, so that says the EBA process is the better process for getting higher wages. But but we want to see that system retained. We want to see it strengthened. We want to see it so that there is a very clear opportunity for employers to sit down with their employees at an enterprise level. What are we doing? How do we, how do, we do things more efficiently? But more, most importantly, making sure that workers benefit from that through higher wages and better conditions. And that was the EBA promise. Now, I'm very sympathetic to the view that some people have not benefited from that system, and that's particularly mm. low-paid people in the non-government sector. So let's fix that. I totally agree that we should fix that. Does that mean you'd support a living wage case? Well, we, we, what we've said about the living wage, of which I think very few people have been able to define, to be frank, um, is why don't we go back to what the Productivity Commission said about the, about the minimum wage, which applies to about 180,000 people, and get the Fair Work Commission to be much more specific in its instructions or it's giving it more specific instructions about looking at the conditions of low-paid workers and, and looking at the capacity of the economy to absorb it. 
And then uh, what Labor has announced, which we agree with, is to limit that from flowing through to all of the awards, which has that inflationary effect, which, of course, has uh, the risks for, for less jobs. Um, so the wages thing, you know, I guess this is the simple point. You cannot get wages to go up if the, if the economy is sluggish. Mm. You know, the economy is 2.3% GDP growth. That's its, that's its annual rate of growth. We're, we're used to an economy over the last 40 years that grows at plus threes. Hmm. You cannot get wages to grow. Uh, We've also got an unemployment figure that's that's below five, and typically correct. that's been a driver of wage growth Absolutely. as well, but and there doesn't and seem to be that connection Well, the, the Reserve Bank has said um, that that will start flowing through. So we, we hope that's the case. Um, you cannot get wages to go up, though, if unemployment starts to go up. You can't. It's just... You know, impossible. You can't get wages to grow up, go if you don't increase the productivity. You can't get wages to go up if you don't deal with skills, which in our plan we have a huge package on skills. But but on this profits mix, and I understand people's frustration mm. here, but I, I always say to people, be very careful about tying profits and wages. Because during the global financial crisis, wages went up by three, profits went down by eight. So I think, you know, when people say that to me, I think, well, be careful what you wish for. And then uh, in the recent data, in the non-mining sector, uh, the wages bill grew faster than the profits bill. So it's a complex issue, and I, I know that's not, I've taken a long time to answer that question, but I do really understand people's frustration. And no, we thought thing, it was worth homing in on it, though. Yeah, no, it's, it's really important, David, because I think the other point to make is you also want to get people's cost of living down, get their power bills down, get their taxes down, like... Mm. The well, you're quick. quite critical in your statement about the lack of clarity around energy policy, which has been more of an issue on the conservative side than the oh, Labor side. I think the whole country has we, – we have really made a mess of this for a long time. And, and of course, now we're reaping the, the, uh, the consequences of 10 years of indecision, of false starts. So what we've done is to divide this into, into three sections. The first is what could we immediately do to get people's power bills down? And the Competition Commission basically had a pretty good checklist – you do something about these green schemes where we're still subsidising solar and things like that, which are now kind of able to stand on their own. Uh, you, you look at the way that bills are set, which actually allows customers to pick uh, better uh, and choose a better product. Uh, and then, of course, in the medium term, we need to get investment back in different types of particularly baseload power. When I mean, you've got an interconnector kind of proposition here in South Australia, which would be hugely important to sort of get the grid to be stabilised, and then we've actually got to sort out climate policy. Mm. And, and, if, and, and because the absence of certainty on climate policy from both sides of politics, to be frank, has caused companies to be reticent about investing. Mm. And so those three things have to be done uh, together. And we have got to stop telling people that, you know, we can do X, Y and Z without a plan to do it. And then when we get into it, like we have for the last decade, everyone goes whoopsies, as this little 10-year-old friend of mine says all the time, um, there's the steel industry gone, there's the aluminium industry gone, there's this regional community finished. Oh, well, we better fix that, and then they cobble something together. We can't keep doing this. Mm. Mm. We're talking uh, about things through the prism of public policy, given an election mm. has just been called today. But is it the business community's view that the banks need to, to loosen the reins a little bit at the moment? Because well, their loan books are, are tightening up massively. Uh, it's a really good point, because the one thing that you should not do now is make credit harder. Mm. Now, is that the bank's fault or is that the fact that they are responding to a regulatory change mm, and, yep. and, and and so my advice to politicians be very careful about making it hard for banks to lend money yeah because in this current climate with the economy slowing down a bit a very very complex world you've just been talking about brexit um 
you know, the last thing you need to do is is create an environment where the banks are reluctant to lend. And let's be fair. I mean, I, I'm not making excuses for the stuff that was in the Royal Commission, but but when you get a sort of vindictive approach to being to business, and you say, "Well, we want to get after these guys just for the sake of it," there is a consequence for somebody. Mm. Um, not not normally the people sitting around the boards. A consequence for someone who can't get a loan. Mm. Yeah, mm. Jennifer Westacott, CEO of the Business Council of Australia. Thanks so much for coming in. You're very welcome. Thank you.